right, well, welcome to Living Hope Church. We're so glad uh, you have joined us this morning. Um, if, you, if you have children that are kindergarten to third grade and that are going down to Children's Church, they can dismiss out the back with Miss Chandra. If you can let her beat you out there, though, that'd be a win. Um, there you go. Uh, if you have children that are older than that or staying in the service, uh, there are activities on that back table that they are free to grab and take back to their seat. Uh, there's also a sermon notes designed for them uh, that goes along with the sermon. They can grab one of those. They fill it out. They can come and see me afterwards, and we'll have uh, some candy for them. Uh, but today we are continuing in our series that we have simply called the parables. Uh, and in this study, we are looking at some of the parables, the stories that Jesus uh, told to get across his message and his point uh, in an accessible, easy-to-understand manner. Last week, we looked at perhaps the best-known story, the best-known parable in the Bible, which is the story of the prodigal or the lost son. And last week, we focused on that relationship between the father and the younger son. And if you weren't with us last week, I'd encourage you to go back and you can uh, listen to that sermon, which is on our website or on YouTube or Apple Podcasts by searching uh, Living Hope Green River. But so often when we study or hear a sermon on the prodigal son, we end like we did last week in verse 24. We end with the son returning, the father kicking off the party for his son. But Jesus doesn't end the story at verse 24. While the younger son is returning and the father is uh, starting the party, there's another character off in the field working. And so today we are going to focus in on the older brother. And Jesus is going to challenge us uh, just as he challenged the Pharisees and those who were listening to his story. Today we're going to read the first three verses of Luke chapter 15. And then we're going to read the story of the prodigal son starting in verse 11. Luke writes, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him through the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. 
The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. And dear Lord, we just thank you for this, uh, just this incredible story that, that illustrates your love for us. And God, I pray that as we study this passage of Scripture, Lord, that you would reveal those areas in our life where we are in need of repentance, where we are in need of returning to you. God, if there's anyone here that has never returned to you for that first time and found their life in you, God, we pray that you would reveal that need and give us the courage to repent. And God, I pray also that you would reveal those areas in our life where we are living like the older brother. Those areas where we are are living for ourselves, God, and that we need to repent of our pride and we need to return to you. So God, wherever it is that, that, that you need to speak to us, God, we pray that we would have ears to hear, Lord, and that you would open our hearts and you would speak clearly. God, we thank you that you are a God of love and a God of grace. That whenever we repent and turn to you, you are faithful to forgive. So would you call us to that today? God, we love you and we praise you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. So throughout our study on the parables, we've talked about it. But one of the most important things to do when you're studying parables is to understand who is the audience and what is the context of the passage. And the context and audience is easy to find. It's in those first two verses we read. Luke wrote, now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus is hanging out, he is sharing with the tax collectors and sinners, and then the Pharisees and these teachers of the law begin to mutter. And so if you don't know who Pharisees and the teachers of the law were, they were the the leaders of the Jewish faith, they were the teachers of the faith. I mean, their equivalent in our evangelical church today would be like the pastors and the Sunday school teachers. These are the people you would expect to be the most faithful followers of God, the ones that would have recognized Jesus first. But throughout the New Testament, instead of embracing Jesus, they are concerned because he is upsetting everything they know and he is threatening their position of authority. And they're upset that Jesus is hanging out with these people that aren't aren't worthy of him. He's hanging out with these people that they deem outcasts and unworthy. And so they begin to grumble. And they say and they accuse Jesus of hanging out and eating with tax collectors and sinners. And so it's in response to this accusation that Jesus shares these three parables in Luke chapter 15. He begins by sharing of a shepherd that leaves 99 sheep to search out the missing one. The shepherd finds the lost sheep and he carries it home and he celebrates. Then he shares the parable of a story of of a woman who loses a coin. And we talked about it last week. This coin was worth 10% of her uh, total uh, total income or 10% of all that she had. She loses this coin and she turns her house over looking for it. And then when she finds it, she celebrates and she gets all of her neighbors and they they throw a party. And then he culminates with this third and this most uh, personal and powerful parable of the lost son. And so the Pharisees, they accuse Jesus of eating with sinners and tax collectors. And then Jesus starts telling these stories. And in these stories, he says to them, not only do I sit and eat with sinners, but I search 
and I pursue sinners and tax collectors. The, the Pharisees, they viewed sinners and tax collectors as the enemies, but Jesus viewed them as the mission. In Luke 19.10, Jesus says, The Son of Man, speaking of himself, he came to, say, to seek and to save the lost. Jesus' mission was to seek and save the lost. And if we are followers of Jesus, then our mission should be the same as his. And so our first point today is this, and that is that saving sinners was and is the mission of Jesus. Jesus here is pointing out this stark contrast between God's delight in the redemption of sinners and then the Pharisees' inflexible hostility towards those same sinners. I think we read these types of passages and it's really easy to point fingers at the Pharisees and to be critical of them. But we as Christians, we so easily slip into similar thought patterns. Whether it be self-righteousness like the Pharisees, whether it be fear of the world, whether it be lack of faith that God's going to provide as he promised. Whether it be the idol of comfort and safety or other reasons, we begin like the Pharisees to hate and distance ourselves from those that don't yet know God. And in doing so, we, like the Pharisees, make those who are the mission of God the enemy of the church. In the first two parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin, you can almost see the Pharisees kind of nodding along and and applauding the efforts of the shepherd and the woman as they seek and find the lost item and then celebrate. At first, these are just stories that we can all get on board with, but then it kind of escalates in this third parable. We talked about it a lot last week, but it begins with the son committing this ultimate sin of disrespect against his father. We talked about it, but, but when he comes and he asks for his inheritance, he is ultimately telling his dad that he would rather have his money than his dad. He essentially tells the father, I would rather you be dead than alive. I'd rather have your inheritance than you. And as we hear the son do this to his father, our, our anger kind of rises. And, and the Pharisees, they would have expected the father to, to lay the hammer down on the son, to kick him out of the family. But instead of kicking him out of the family with nothing, the father gives him his share of the inheritance, and he freely lets him go. The younger son leaves the house, and Jesus tells us he squanders his wealth on wild living to the point that the money is gone and he needs to find a job. Again, we talked about this last week, but we brought up Hebrews 11.25, which describes this as the fleeting pleasures of sin. Meaning for a time, sin is full of pleasure, but it is fleeting and it will leave us empty like the younger son. And the lifestyle has left him with nothing. And so in need of a job and in need of food, he takes this job feeding pigs at the local farm. And he is so hungry that Jesus tells us he longs to eat the food that he is feeding to the pigs. And as a young Jewish man, there could be no worse job, no, no greater low than this. And it's at this moment when his lifestyle, his friends, and his money have completely left him that it says he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses saying, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And yet here I am starving to death. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Because of that, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Would you just make me a hired servant? And so he gets up and he goes home. The younger son rebelled against his father. He left him for the pleasures of sin. He's lost everything that his father gave him. And he comes to his senses and he said, even my dad's servants have food to eat. Maybe if I go back and I beg and apologize, my dad will hire me on as one of his servants. And so he heads home. 
we kind of talked about it last week, but we worry, what is the father's response going to be? Right? Is he going to, is he going to be angry? Is he going to ridicule him? Is he going to uh, just uh, be mad at him? But it says, as he was headed home, the father saw him while he was a long way off, and he ran to his son. The father embraces his son. The, the son tries to make that speech he had planned out, but before he can do that, he, is, he, does, he has been taken back not as a servant, but he has been restored as a son. And we talked about this a lot last week, but when you turn to God, when you repent, when you go from where you are and you return and follow after him, God meets us with love. And there is no punishment. There is no shame. There are no works. There's no servanthood. There is only grace. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is that Jesus has already paid the punishment for our sin. Jesus has taken our shame. Jesus endured the consequences and we are left only with forgiveness. And when we return to Jesus, we are treated as a son or daughter of the king. And we inherit his rewards. And so if you weren't here last week, maybe that's where you find yourself. And today you find yourself as the younger son. And you have never returned to Jesus. You've gone your own way. You have sought the pleasures of sin and they have left you empty. Perhaps maybe you're like this younger son and you feel like you are too far gone. And you've done too many bad things to ever be forgiven by God. And this story is great news for you, just as it is great news for me and all of us. Because the Bible doesn't say that we have to clean ourselves up before we return to God. It doesn't say that we have a checklist of things we have to do before we return to God. Instead, the gospel, the Bible says we just need to repent. We need to recognize our sin like this son did. We need to turn towards God and put our faith in him and follow him. The son here at returning to the father is a picture of us when we repent and turn to God. And the Bible says if we do that, he is faithful 100% of the time to forgive us of our sins. And we will inherit eternal life through Jesus' work on the cross. The Bible says that God waits for us like the father. The father saw the son when he was a long way off because he was waiting and looking for him. God waits for us to return, and he embraces us with open arms, and he makes us one of his, just as the father in the story embraced, forgave, and took the son back. And so if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus with your life and received his forgiveness and his reward, maybe today is the day that you will follow after him. If that's you and you have questions, we would love to share and talk with you more about what that means. That's kind of last week's sermon, so we won't spend too much more time there. But if that is you, come and talk with us. Or you in your seat today, you can ask for Jesus' forgiveness. You can ask to make him Lord of your life, and he will forgive you. But as we mentioned earlier, often the story of the prodigal son ends right there. But in verse 11, Jesus mentioned that the dad has two sons, and the elder son is noticeably missing to this point. You have to remember back to our audience. Jesus is addressing the Pharisees' accusation that he hangs out and eats with tax collectors and sinners. And so as the Pharisees listened to this final parable, they would have likely had some real issues with the the father's love of the son. But they perhaps could have gotten over that. But as you get to verse 25, you can almost envision Jesus' eyes turning from the sinners and locking eyes with them. Verse 25 says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. 
Verse 28, though, we see the response of the brother and the response of the Pharisees. It says the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. This older brother represents the Pharisees and more concerning for us, he represents many people seated in churches every week across our nation. The older brother appeared to be right with the father. He appeared to do the right things. He appeared to be dutiful. Yet despite his proximity to the father, he had missed the heart of the father. He was just as lost as the younger brother. As we said last week, we love to sit back and condemn the egregious sins of the world. But the root of sin is not these wild acts, but it is our heart. It's our heart that says, I want to be in control. I want to be most important. I want to make my own decisions. I know better than God. I want it to be all about me. So our second point today is that sin is a heart issue. It's a heart issue that rejects God and it puts me first. Sin, at its essence, is the rejection of God and the exaltation of self to most important. Sin is a heart issue that puts I in front of God. And we see that clearly in the life of the young runaway son, but it is also evident in the life of the older brother. Although he had remained close in proximity to the father, it was still all about him and what he has done. When he approaches the Father, it's all about what he has done. It's all about his faithfulness. It's all about his goodness and about how the Father has not given him what he deserved. He is angry about the grace that the Father has shown to the younger son because he believes he has earned the approval of the Father. In the same way, the Pharisees believed that they had earned the approval of God with their good works, and thus God owed them. The Pharisees and the older brother were just as lost as the younger son. Their appearance might have looked less lost, but their hearts were just as separated from the father. The Pharisees and many who show up in churches today have bought into this lie of moralistic religion. Meaning that if I follow the rules, if I show up this church a certain percentage of the time, If I give a certain percentage of my money, if I'm a pretty good person, then God has to accept me. They believe if I build up enough leverage, then God is going to owe me eternal life. He is going to owe me certain blessings. And in the case of the older brother, he owes him a party and not the runaway. And when we believe this system of belief, it becomes all about me and what I do and what I'm owed. And it completely misses the heart of God. And it ignores the reality of our heart situation. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible is clear that we have all sinned and we all deserve death. So the mindset of the Pharisees, the mindset of the older brother, and the mindset of so many in our culture is completely flawed from the beginning. Because what is fair, what is just for the older brother, for the Pharisees, for you and me, is death. We cannot work our way to God, and we cannot know him in this kind of moralistic checklist way. The only way to know God is through the grace shown to the younger brother. The grace that we all desperately need, yet don't always recognize. Throughout the New Testament, the Pharisees failed to recognize the sin in their own life and thus their need for a Savior. 
And sadly, so too do many in our culture and throughout the church. The older brother mistook his proximity to the father for a relationship with the father. And so can we show up at church week after week and go through the motions, but never know the grace and love of God. We can grow up in a Christian nation. We can know the Bible stories. We can show up at church and yet, yet, and yet never know the Father. Never know his grace. The Pharisees were at synagogue seven times a week. They knew the Bible. They obeyed the law, but they didn't know the heart and grace of God. And thus they didn't have a relationship with him. The rules had made them just like the older brother. Self-righteous, pious, judgmental, but far from God. And that brings us to our next point, and that is that repentance and grace is the only way to know God. Moralistic religion says, I am good. I obey the rules so that God has to accept me. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the Bible says, I am a sinner. I cannot work my way to God. So Jesus came and took the penalty. He took my shame. He took what I deserved on the cross, and he paid the price for my sin and rose victorious over death. The gospel says, I am forgiven, not because of anything I did, but because of what Jesus did on the cross on my behalf. The world says, I obey God so that he will accept me. The gospel, the Bible says, I am accepted through Jesus, therefore I obey him. We cannot work our way to God. The only way to know God is through a relationship based on grace and Jesus' work on the cross on our behalf. Again, the older brother and the Pharisees, they were close in proximity, but they missed it. They failed to recognize the sin in their own heart. They failed to recognize their lack of relationship with the Father. They failed to recognize their need for a Savior. The reality is the older brother was just as far off from the father as the younger brother. One looked worse on the outside, but both were missing a relationship with the Father. Throughout these three parables that Jesus shares, there's a lot of common themes. But one of the themes throughout these three parables is this celebration that ensues each and every time the loss is found. When the shepherd finds the sheep, he picks it up and he heads home and he has a party. When the woman finds the missing coin, she calls her friends and neighbors and she throws a party. When the lost son returns home, the father's immediate response is to kill the fattened calf and throw a party. Jesus tells us there is rejoicing in heaven when a lost sinner repents and turns to God. But that is contrasted with the response of the Pharisees and the older brothers. The Pharisees grumble at Jesus spending time with sinners, and the elder brother becomes angry when the father forgives and celebrates the son. And what we see in this stark contrast between the father and the elder brother and the Pharisees is that what we celebrate, what we prioritize is a lens, a gauge to our heart. And so that's our next point. What do I celebrate? Do I celebrate grace and forgiveness and a loss coming to life? Or do I celebrate religion and rules and self? Do we celebrate God and his grace? Do we celebrate when lost people repent and return to God? Or do we tend to celebrate self? Do we celebrate our accomplishments, our giving, our sacrifice, our righteousness, our goodness? We saw it a few weeks back in one of our parables that we talked about how our money is a gauge of our heart. Well, so too is what we celebrate a gauge of our heart. The son doesn't celebrate the father and how good he has been to him. 
He doesn't celebrate all that the Father has done for him, but instead he celebrates himself. All the good things he has done. In doing so, he becomes angry, jealous, bitter, resentful, and unforgiving toward the younger brother and ultimately towards the father. In the same way, when we celebrate ourselves as opposed to God, we develop those same attitudes towards God. We, we, we develop those same attitudes toward those we deem less worthy. When we believe the lie that God owes us certain things, we become angry with him. We become jealous of what others have been given. We become bitter with God, and we become resentful. And so that describes you and your heart. You have to ask yourself, have I ever trusted Jesus with my life and experienced his grace? You see, you can be far from God in the pig pen, or you can be far from God living in the pig pen of morality and self-righteousness. Again, one looks better to the outside world, but both are far from God. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, I know at some point I surrendered my life and trusted Jesus and I experienced his grace. But if I'm honest, I see elements of the older brother and the Pharisees in my life. More often than not, I find myself celebrating my own righteousness as opposed to God's grace. I find myself judging the lost as opposed to seeking them. I find myself bitter with what others have been given. I find myself resentful of God's forgiveness towards others. Or I find myself angry with God. So maybe you are a follower of God, but you see those elements in your life. And if that's you, man, I would first just applaud you for being honest with yourself. But from there, I would encourage you to spend time with God and his word in prayer and repent of that attitude and beg God to remind you of the grace in your life. Beg him to remind you of the grace in your life and make it real. Begin to transform your heart and attitude towards him and others. And then begin fostering, uh, fostering that attitude in your life. Start reading the word. Start praying with intentionality for your, for your heart and for the lost around you. And then join Jesus in the mission. And that's the call for all Christians. The Pharisees and the older brother were satisfied with what they deemed their right relationship with God. They had grown where they weren't concerned with others because they thought they were good. How much different would this story be? How much different would the New Testament be if instead of criticizing the Father and criticizing Jesus, if the Pharisees and the elder brother would have sought out the lost and attempted to restore them with God? How much different would our world be if the church, instead of just sitting and gathering and resting in their faith, joined Jesus in his mission to take the gospel to the lost? Join Jesus in his mission to take the gospel to their community and to the nations. We said it earlier, but the lost around us and across the world are not our enemy. But they are the mission of Jesus. The mission of the church and the mission of every Christian. So that's our final point today. It's a question, have I joined the mission? Have I joined the search and rescue mission? For me, a story that that best uh, illustrates this in my life is this. I grew up in Portland, Oregon. I've said that a million times. But growing up in Portland, Oregon, Mount Hood sits 11,000 feet just to the east of the city. And in Portland, your elevation is sea level, so 11,000 feet is pretty impressive. And in my opinion, uh, a quite biased opinion, I think it is one of the most beautiful mountains in the world. It is this perfectly symmetrical mountain that when you draw, it's the mountain that you draw as a little kid, right? It's just a triangle. It is beautiful. 
But besides being beautiful, it is also one of the most deadly mountains in the world. Due to its accessibility, its popularity, and its constantly changing weather conditions, people get lost, stuck, and die on Mount Hood every single year. I feel like part of the annual just seasons in Oregon was as, as every spring, you would watch the Black Hawk helicopters on the news trying to rescue people and the latest stranded climbers from the mountain. And every time you can listen to the reporters, or especially now, you can open up the comment section on the article, and it is littered with people condemning the climber for putting others at risk. It's littered with people questioning the decision-making and the, the stupidity of the climber. And while they might be valid points, because it's often a lack of preparation that leads to this, those comments stand in stark contrast to those men and women that are sacrificing their lives on the rescue team. Men and women that are often volunteers that sacrifice and risk their lives to see the stranded climbers rescued at the drop of a hat. There are those that complain and bicker and mock and make fun of. And then there's the search and rescue team, people who don't consider the danger of their own lives because they so value the life of the one in danger. I think that's just a beautiful picture of the church. There are those of us in church that sit passively and we say, well, that is sad, but we never do anything about it. We just listen to the stories of the lost, indifferent to them, like most of those who just hear the story of the rescue mission on the news. If that's you, I say pray that Jesus would give you compassion for the loss that leads to action. Then there are some of us that would just sit back and we condemn, we judge, and we criticize the lost around us. We criticize with a self-righteousness and arrogance that says, well, if they would just try, or if they would just get their act together, they would come to faith. Completely discounting the grace and love we have been shown. If that's your attitude, I'd say repent of that sin and arrogance and recognize what God has done for you. And I pray that would motivate you to action. For some of us, there are some of us that are so insecure and afraid of the loss that we have completely separated ourselves from the world, saying that if I, if I reach out, what if it is uncomfortable? What if I fail? What if my faith doesn't hold up or my children fall away? There are some of us that the fear renders us useless for the kingdom. If that's you, I say Jesus is sufficient for you, and in him there is no fear. Trust him and live by faith, not your own strength. Then there are some of us that just, we've grown tired of doing good. Saying, God, I have done my part, but now I am done. Someone else can do the work now. If that's you, I say don't give up. Be reminded of the grace you've been shown. Be reminded of the lostness around you and let God be your strength and get back in. And then there are some that have taken Jesus' word seriously and they are sacrificing their life, time, resources, and comfort for the advancement of the gospel. So that as many as possible might know Jesus and his love and receive his forgiveness. If that is you and you are on the, the search and rescue mission, I say keep going. But have you joined the mission? Are you doing what God has called you to do? Are you on the search and rescue team? Or are you condemning, mocking, and indifferent? Jesus doesn't say it's going to be easy. He doesn't even say it's going to be fun. In fact, he tells the disciples it is going to be hard. We saw the video this past week. We had 87 kids come and learn about Jesus here at VBS. It took great sacrifice and effort to make that happen. 
It was fun at times, but it wasn't fun all the time. There were early mornings and there were long days. There were, uh, there were plans changed so that people could be here. There was a team that traveled all the way from Arkansas and paid their way to come and serve so that those kids could hear of Jesus. There was a sewer backup that required mopping, cleaning, and professional assistance on Tuesday. There were months of preparation that went into making it happen. It wasn't always easy. It wasn't always fun. But for the 87 kids that heard about Jesus and the few that trusted in him for the first time, it was absolutely worth it. Jesus calls his disciples, his followers, to deny themselves and take up their cross daily to follow him, to join the mission. Now, we don't join the mission as a way to our own salvation or to work our way to God, but we join the mission out of gratitude for the grace, forgiveness, and goodness that we have been shown through Jesus. We do it because anyone who has seen someone experiencing the saving grace of Christ for the first time will tell you it is worth it. Every sacrifice is worth it to see one go from lost to found, from dead to alive. The mission is saving the lost. Jesus says it again, Luke 19, 10. He came to seek and save the lost. So as we evaluate our lives, as we evaluate our church, is that the priority of each of us that claim to be Christians? Does what I celebrate show that it's a priority in my life? Does what I spend my money and time on illustrate the priority of the lost in my life? Does the way I pray illustrate the priority and urgency of taking the gospel into the, to the lost in my life. If you want to begin somewhere, prayer is a great place to start. Think about this. This is, one, this is a humbling thought. But if God were in an instant to answer every prayer you prayed this last week, if he were in an instant to, pray, to answer every prayer you prayed this last week, how many people would spend eternity in heaven because of your prayers? If the answer is zero, there is something wrong. We must be a people, a church, that begin to pray for the lost around us by name. Pray daily for your friends. Pray for your family. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for those people you don't even like. God honors our prayers. He changes hearts, and he changes our hearts to those around us. Maybe for you this week, you just need to commit to begin praying with intentionality for the lost around you. Start a journal, use note cards, write down names. And if you do, I promise God will begin to soften your heart towards those people and towards the lost in general. I promise he will open up for opportunities to share and to show the love of Jesus to them in, in tangible ways. And I promise he will transform your life as you pray for others. John MacArthur said the parable of the prodigal son, it painted the ugliness of the Pharisee's attitude with such vivid realism that no one could possibly miss the point. As it painted with vivid realism, the ugliness of our hearts? And if so, would we repent? Are we the older brother with the attitude of the Pharisees, or, or have we taken hold or began to take hold of the heart of the Father who seeks to search and save the lost? Melinda's going to come and play in just a second. 
and she comes to play, I just ask you to consider where are you in this story? Who are you in this story? Maybe you're here and you're the, the younger son. You have wandered. You have left the father. Sin has left you empty. And today you just need to repent and return to the father. You need to say, God, I have sinned and I have gone against you. But I believe that Jesus is who he said he was. I believe Jesus died the death my sin deserves. And I want to follow you the rest of the days of my life. The Bible says if you pray that, he will forgive you. and He will meet you with open arms. So that's you. Would you do so today? Or maybe you find yourself today and you are the older brother. You have been around church your whole life. You could tell me more Bible stories than I could tell you, but you have never experienced the grace of God. Your whole life you've been trying to work yourself to God. Today you recognize you need to surrender and follow after him and experience his grace. If that's you, would you pray that same prayer and would you experience his grace today? Or maybe you're here today and you are a follower of God, but you have lost perspective and you've developed the heart of a Pharisee. Would you today repent and be reminded of the grace you have been shown and commit to join the mission? Maybe this week you'll commit to start praying intentionally for your friends and for your family members and your coworkers and your neighbors. Pray for the lost around you. Pray that God would soften their hearts, that he would reveal himself to them. They might experience his grace and pray he would do the same in your life. So I'm going to pray for us. After I pray, Melinda's going to play, and we're just going to all bow our heads for just a minute or two and just reflect. And I'll come back and close us a prayer, uh, and we'll be dismissed. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a loving Father full of love and grace. God, we thank you that no matter what our past looks like, whether we be in the pig pen in a faraway nation or the pig pen close to home, that you meet us with grace and compassion and love if we will repent and turn to you. So, God, I pray today as we continue to reflect in these next few minutes that you would reveal to us where it is that we need to repent and turn to you. Where it is in our life that we need to trust you. Where it is in our life that we need forgiveness. Where it is in our life that we need to join the mission of taking your good news to the world around us. God, I pray that we would always be a church that values the lost, that searches for the lost, that sacrifices for the lost. And God, we pray that you would honor that and that many might come to faith. So God, I pray that you would just speak to us in these next couple minutes and that we would open our hearts and our minds to what you have. It's your name we pray.
God, again, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for sending Jesus to die the death that our sin deserved. God, we thank you that in you there is forgiveness and life if we will simply turn to you and experience your grace. May we follow you faithfully this week and faithfully proclaim your good news to those around us. It's your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right, well, just a few announcements uh, for you this morning. If you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a uh, welcome card somewhere in the area of you. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing it's out there. Placing that in the wood box on the back table, uh, we would appreciate it. That's also where you can place your tithes and offerings and you consider this your church home. Uh, just a couple of announcements. We've said a few times, but first of all, thank you so much to everyone that helped make VBS happen this week. Uh, we had an awesome week, and uh, we are so grateful um, for all that you gave and sacrificed and served uh, to make it happen. Uh, the other announcement is we are doing snow cones and soccer. If you've been at the soccer fields, we're down there doing, uh, giving away free snow cones and free popcorn. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet on the back table. We're doing it Monday and Thursday this week. Uh, if you'd be available to help us, uh, we would appreciate it. We get there about 5.30, and then we're done um, when the games are done and when the kids are done. So uh, it's a lot of fun, but we would appreciate it, uh, anyone that wants to help. So that sign-up sheet is on the back table as well next to the wooden box. Uh, thank you so much for being here this week. We hope you have an awesome week, and we hope to see you again next week. You are dismissed. Mm -hmm.